Drain the Glass. This show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm your host, Casey. Joining me as always is... Miles. Hey. How's it going? I started that differently than I usually do. I, I know. Think that's I, okay. I was actually kind of thrown off by it. I well, I was. <laughs> I'm in recording mode for my other shows, and that's how I intro those. Well, tisk tisk. This I know. is all about us today. I know. It's insane. I'm broken. So, Miles, what have you been brewing? Uh nothing this past week. Still just yeah. trying to move in. Still got a lot of work to do. Mm. How about you? Uh, I've been doing some mead research. I have I have some stuff for meads. I got to get those those bottles from you. Yes. So I can do that in the next few days. All right. Cool. And then I can then I can do a mead. M a i d mead. What when do you plan on doing it? Actually, uh, I hadn't set an exact time. Probably when I just have some time because it won't take long. Okay. Well, fair enough. You should give me a call. Okay. Just so I can like experience with right. You, you can help me pour money or money down the drain honey <laughs> into a thing. Wow, I'm <laughs> it's gonna be one of those shows, guys. 9 a.m. people, that's what it awesome. happens to you. <laughs> yes, all right. Well, I guess we have a homebrew sitting in front of us. Uh, this is the beer that I brewed to well against your pale ale, but we never got yours. Yeah, it's actually in Minnesota at the moment. I brought it to Eric's to bottle one time. We didn't quite get to it that day, and I haven't found my way back yet. Okay. Well, as soon as you do, we'll have to taste yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so this is my pale ale. Um, it turned out okay. There's a few. There's a few minor things wrong with it, but overall, I think it's fine. Not much of an aroma. Well, it's also been sitting in a warm keg for. A month. It's it's a month overdue. I suppose. You know, we really should. Day of, it was. It it smelled fantastic. If you ask me, it drinks a little sweet. Mm-hmm. It didn't quite ferment out the way I wanted it to. Sure. And Lord knows you like a dry pale ale. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever mentioned that. No, I don't. I don't think I have. But yeah, no. Now people know that I like dry beer. You know, it, it turned out okay. Uh, I I literally threw it together at last minute, and I'm not. I I've I have made many many better pale ales, and this one's just eh. Glad to hear you're bringing your A game to compete against me. Well, uh, you didn't bring a beer, so hey, shush, shush, shush. I'm pretty sure I win by default. Oh God. Probably. <laughs> we'll definitely have to call it the Miles Sucks Pale Ale once I, right? once I get it in here. Yeah. Hmm. I'm tasting pretzels. I don't know why I'm tasting pretzels. Do you think it's the fact that you in woke up half an hour ago? I didn't wake up half an hour uh, ago. I, I don't know. <laughs> I did. All right. Uh, But yeah, so... I don't know. It's not great. It's drinkable, but not great. Yeah. But you know what? I'll I'll also just kind of throw out there. It's very specifically not bad either. Yeah. Like this is a very go-to pale ale if you're not like thinking too hard. Mm-hmm. If you just kind of pour yourself something, continue with whatever activity you've been doing, you could easily drink like a lot of this. Yeah. Because uh, it's a table beer. Mm-hmm. So you know it's 
it's, it's real. I'm just not the happiest with it. Well, you have high standards for your pale ales. This is true. So do I. Yeah, see, we all have high standards for our beer, and this does not make it. No, not quite. What would you What would you change about it? Um, I'd have to look at the recipe. Well, and that's that's the other thing. I would write the recipe down. Um, I I literally was like, hmm. I have ten pounds of two row. I used ten or eleven pounds of two row, and some of it was kind of old two row that I had around. Okay. And so <laughs> I would use fresh two row. Uh, and then I think I, I found a pound of like crystal, I want to say 20. I think I threw half of that in there. Fair enough. And then I used, what was it? I think I used Simcoe and Amarillo. That sounds about right. Yeah. I think I remember you saying that there was like three, maybe four hops that went into this or something. No, not quite that many. No? Okay. Because I just remember your recipe being surprisingly complicated compared to what mine was. And yeah. Like any of our listeners would have expected the exact, exact opposite, opposite between You know, I, I'm pretty sure I talked about what exactly my recipe was in an earlier show. So yeah. maybe we'll have yep. to go back and read it. Actually, I think I threw it on the on the blog as well. Um. Oh that, no! I think you did, and yeah. you have like Miles's recipe uh, will be posted soon, so I can get that to you. I can get that to you right after the show here. Cool. Uh, where where is it? Okay, my competition pale ale: ten pounds, two row, uh, half a pound of Crystal Sixty. I use Crystal Sixty instead of not Crystal Twenty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then I use Citra and Amarillo, with uh, ten fifty six is what I fermented with. That that actually sounds pretty decent. Yeah. No, the recipe is solid. I I would need to use fresher ingredients, I think, is what it ends up being. Do you think it actually comes through? I think it does. Now, I, I've never thought about it too hard. What does, like, what flavor comes from using older grains? Uh, just, it's it's not going to be as clean. It's going to be a different uh, flavor. I, I don't know exactly what flavor it is, but I don't know. Some, I'm getting a weird a weird pretzel taste out of this beer to this morning. Maybe, maybe that's it. That could be it. That could definitely be it. Then again, I, I suppose another way to put it, instead of just like this really clean malt flavor, it's kind of like muddled. Yeah. Uh, to compare it, Eric's uh, session pale mm-hmm. that we tried, um, we just like there was there, no there was dis- a muddled hop. Yeah. Character, yep, and, and this thinking, one has a muddled malt. Character. Yeah, it's it's not very bright. It's not particularly crisp mm-hmm. I mean, it's crisp enough but it's not where i want it yeah no clearly but so i don't know it's it's a whole ordeal it is it is but i, I was trying to give you some more credit don't need credit you're not taking i'm a it. failure just a failure just, just hey, a i got failure. my fermentation chamber working again Yay, what was wrong with it? Uh, the temp control, something's going wonky there. Okay. And so I just plugged in the refrigerator directly into the wall, so it's cooling down. I want to see where it is, where it gets to. But, um, yeah, no, the the controller just stopped working, and I can't figure out why. Like, I, all the connections seem solid and everything, so I think I'm just going to take it all apart and put it back together and see if it see if I can get it working again. Fair enough. Uh, I got a buddy who knows a lot about, like, the stuff that goes on inside those things. Okay. So if if you had any questions, I could probably just like show it to him and he yeah un- yeah unscrew uh, it, take thirty seconds and figure it out. Yeah. Uh, if I if if I can't get it working again, I'll probably have you. Okay. Cool. Take a look at that for me. H- have you met um, 
God, he's got to be on our show, too. Have you met Ben? Ben. Excuse me, Brendan? Brendan. I don't think so. Okay, you got to meet Brendan. Okay. He's, he's good people. Yeah. I, I ran into a uh, uh, a home brewer. At, I was at Pitchfork, and I was talking with uh, somebody. I can't remember his name now. It's going to escape me. He's going to hear this. He's going to be like, I told you my name. And uh, we exchange information and stuff, but I can't remember his name now. Uh, he he volunteers up there once in a while. Uh, one of his beers won uh, at the Divine Humber competition. His stout, I believe. Oh, sure. Are you... Um Mike O'Hara is Mike. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He's he's good people. I like him. Yeah, he's got his whole keg set up. He's been working on for like the last six eight months mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, we got to get him on the show. Yeah, I was telling him that. So I think I grabbed his number at some point. Okay, awesome. So all right, well, shall we move on to because we have a fairly long discussion today, don't we? Yes, and this is one that you should be fairly knowledgeable. So I, don't I didn't. Know. I didn't even put my notes up. What? Uh, on purpose. What? You mean the notes that I never look at? Yeah. You know, I try and be <laughs> plan this out nicely so that you can prepare. <sighs> yes, I know you try to prepare, and I really appreciate that you prepare because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last week I said that this week we will be talking about kegging. Oh, man, I'm so excited about kegging. Just, I'm just going to throw this out there before we begin. Kegging is just the best. Keg- just the best. Kegging is the best. It, like, bottling is stupid. It's not stupid. It's, it's stupid. Stupid compared to kegging. <laughs> but kegging isn't an option for everybody. This is true. And I'm sorry that I just called bottling stupid. You should be. Because it's a part of homebrewing, and we like homebrewing. Yes. Okay, anyways... Uh, let's see. Homebrew quiz time. All right. I love the quiz. Yes. Quiz discussion. This is by far the longest quiz that I've, I've right. had to write up so far. I'm going to get all of these wrong. Probably not. I'll be impressed. Okay. Anyways, uh, as an alternative to bottling, there is kegging, the process of putting the beer into a keg system and drinking your beer from tap. True. Really, really about that simple. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I try and have like a quick. I know. Def- I know. Okay. Uh, let's see. Question one. Is kegging worth the hassle? Yes. That is correct. Um, it, okay. Well, I mean, that that seems... No, okay. So that was kind of like a prelude to all the rest of the questions. Okay. That uh, I we're actually going to get into the nitty-gritty okay. of some of this stuff. And just saying everything we're talking about is is worth knowing and it's worth the hassle. Yes. Okay. So question two. What would you list as, like, a very general primary list of the things you need to get started kegging? To get started kegging? Yeah. The I, I have three. You have three? I have three things, and they're kind of like, two of them are kind of like composite um, things. Okay. Well, you need a CO2 tank and regulator. Yep. Is that one of the composite things? Yep, pretty much. Okay. Well, I suppose they all could be. All right. Uh, and then, you well, you need a keg. Yep. And then you need... Something to dispense the keg. Yeah. So I uh, at this moment I have carbon dioxide as a general concept. In this case, the the tank and the regulator yep. that comes with the CO two. Um, and then I have keg with a tap line. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, there's different types, but general concept. Just just something to dispense. Yes. And then I have one more thing that kind of is needed. Something to keep the keg cold. 
correct. I have keg or a kegerator. Uh, or a jockey box. You could use a jockey box. It does not keep the keg cold, but it makes the beer cold. I just... We'll talk. <laughs> no, um, and then with some device to keep the beer cold. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Question three. What needs to be considered for tap line length and why? Um, all right. Well, there's a few things, but the big thing is the volumes of CO2 that you're pouring. And depending on your system, the more volumes, the longer the line you're going to need. Otherwise, you're just going to get foam everywhere. Yes. So I have uh, roughly five to six feet, which is what's... I, I use a good rule of thumb of 10. Yeah. If you throw if you throw a 10-foot line, uh, you're really rarely going to run into problems. Yeah, yep. So, um, Northern Brewer always quoted me roughly five to six, unless you're, you know, doing like a German Hefeweizen or mm-hmm. something. But... Uh, and that's exactly why, because if you have a line that is too short, your beer will come out foamy. Do you know why? Uh, because you're just pushing it through. It doesn't have enough time to, like, normalize. Yeah. So the the sh- general concept is that uh, if you just imagine what's going on, you have liquid in a very high-pressure s- closed system, and you're poking a hole in that system. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if you wanted to just imagine for a second poking a hole in the side of the keg, what would happen? Like beer, beer would just everywhere. Squir- yeah, like it would just squirt out big foamy mess just freaking everywhere. And you're taking what's happening there and you're putting a tube on it and giving it the five or six feet uh, allows it to, like yeah. he said, normalize and you can get uh, regular beer by putting a hole in the keg. Mm-hmm. Basically, so b- the longer the better. Well, not necessarily. If you have too long, you have to bring up your serving pressure in order to get yeah. it there. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah. I I know I know what you mean. Uh, but yeah, no. For me, I always use a general rule of thumb of ten feet. Yeah, just yep. ten feet of line, and line is so cheap. Yeah. There's, like I mean, seventy cents a foot or something, something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not much. All right. What is serving temperature, and should you gener- er, and why should you generally not serve warmer than that? Well, that's a trick question. That depends on beer style. Let's just assume we're talking about um, your pale ale here. Okay, I, I have mine. Oh man, what is mine set to? I think it's like four and a half. See, I don't. I can't see my temp controller from here. It's covered by a curtain. <laughs> um, I, I think I think it's right around four and a half C. Is where I have mindset, which translates to oh, I used to know this. Let me let me look it up quick. Celsius to Fahrenheit. I got it. Thirty nine point two. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I had roughly forty. You know, and this is a very broad concept yep. of what it, you know because it depends on the beer that you're serving. Mm-hmm. Well, and I let mine float uh, a half a degree either way. Yeah. Which is, well, like half a degree C, so, you know, it'll go up to like 43 or something. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that it's very loose, but I guess uh, the second part of the question would be, why do you not want to serve it at like 50 or 60? Well, depending on the style, right. you Well, let's you assume could, we're but again talking yeah, about Yeah, I know. But uh, so for the most part, uh, you're just going to get a lot of foam. Yes. Because it, the CO2 stays in solution better in... A colder liquid. Yes. Uh, otherwise, it will just it'll come out at the first 
opportunity. So you're going to end up with a glass that's mostly full of foam and then some flat beer at the bottom. Yep. Uh, to be a little more explicit, uh, you, you were kind of touching on it. Uh, cold liquids hold carbonation better. And so when they warm up, the amount of carbonation they like to hold starts to drop very dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so warm beer coming out of the tap will not try at all to keep the carbonation in suspension and just let it go. Yeah. And so you will get cups full of foam. Yeah. And if you're going for something uh, like almost like pseudo cask like out of out of your beers like, you know, a bitter or something like that. Yep. And you're gonna be sor- serving it warmer, uh, what I would recommend is when you do your carbonation, do it to just a very low amount, like like one volume of CO two, like just barely carbonated. Just keep it on that really low end, and then you're not gonna you're gonna get a little bit of foam, but it's not gonna be as big of an issue. And then I would even maybe increase the tap line just a little bit to try to keep it. Yeah. Yep. To just help compensate yeah. for that difference. Yep. All right. Moving on here. There is two easy ways to carbonate a beer in the keg, with priming sugar or with high, uh, high pressures. Yep. Without priming sugar, uh, what is the approximate amount of wait time for either method? And for the latter, what is the pressure you should keep it? Okay. So, uh, wait time. So if you're if you're using priming sugar. Yep. You're basically turning your keg into a giant beer bottle. Yep. And so, like you would do with bottling, you'd wait about the same amount of time, uh, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Like you just got to, you just got to monkey with it. Roughly three weeks is what I okay. What my research was All telling right. me. Uh, and then when we talk about forced carbonation, we're, um, well, we're we're not talking about this. Yeah, so but no, it's but that, it's still but it's still called forced okay, carbonation. Okay, like okay. that's that's what it is. Sorry, I'm just we're, being we're, yeah, no, we're we're, we're talking question. about uh, about set it and forget it forced carb. Yes. All right. So, uh that depends on the temperature of your keg. If you're keeping your keg cold, um you're going to be able to use a uh it, well, it either go faster and and it depends on what volume you want as well. Go faster at a higher pressure or you could set it at the same pressure. And it'll still go a little bit faster, but it won't. It'll be about the same time. Um, what I do is I throw mine on about thirty, thirty-five psi, um, and just let it set for a day or so, just a couple of days, and and that's pretty good for you. That 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 seems to hit it right on the head for me. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I had roughly thirty psi for the set yep. it and forget it method. Um. Yeah. I suppose that brings us right into the the next question concerning uh, forced force carbonation. Okay, so then then you have the forced carb method, uh, which I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not going to lie, uh, just because every time I do it, I get a cloudy beer. No matter no matter what I do, like it never seems to settle out properly when I do this. But basically, uh, for this method, you attach your you know. Your your CO two at thirty psi roughly, and you just shake the crap out of it, and you can go from zero to carbed in less than an hour. Yeah, depending on how consistent and vigorous your shaking is, uh, you could be done in ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, I mean that would be like nonstop the Hulk, you know, but um, it can be done. I've done it. It's mm-hmm. annoying. Oh, I I did it with ass. this pale ale. 
and the downstairs neighbors don't like it, but yeah. I I don't know. I just I don't like that method because I I have issues clearing my beer afterwards. Um this kind of, that actually kind of segues into the next question. Uh a little bit at least. Mm-hmm. What should be taken note of if you plan to do the force carb method? Hint, this also applies to the transportation of kegs, jostling the keg during transportation. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna force carb, you want you want to be able to set your keg for a few hours before you serve off of it, just to give stuff to fall out of uh, suspension. I'd say twelve to twenty four would be ideal, yep, but yep. you could start serving right away. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You just have murky beer, and. It will actually come out a little bit more foamy than it otherwise would. Yeah. Uh, uh, another thing you can do is before you force carb, you can let your keg sit for a while, let all that stuff fall out, mm-hmm. and then pull a pint or two of that of that murky stuff at the bottom of the keg, and then force carb, and you might have a little bit more luck. Yeah. Uh, so just to kind of recap over this, um, force carbing can get you or can get your beer done really, really fast. But you should still give it, your ideal time would be overnight Yeah, to sit and settle down. And this also applies for the transportation of kegs. Shaking it up a lot, uh, aside from even just mixing those drags back in, unsettles the like the stability of the beer holding the carbonation. Mm-hmm. So, be gentle. <laughs> be nice to your kegs and be they'll treat nice. you right. They will. All right. Although most model uh, modern kegs rip pressure, sorry, starting over here. Although most modern keg pressure regulators are self-protected from this, what is something to be very wary of when handling your keg when it is directly and openly hooked up to your CO2 tank? Well, pop the top popping off, I guess, and shooting beer everywhere. No, I was actually, what I'm looking for was uh, I don't I yeah, I do not no, understand um, the question. I I know I had to try and make it wordy to kind of be a little specific about it, but what I'm looking for is you got to be careful to not let beer back up into your CO2 regulator. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. So that's it's it's hard to do. It it is, and that's you know, and that's kind of, kind of why I phrased it situationally, like if you're trying to force carb I don't want you to have the CO2 tank filling the beer while you're holding it above, shaking it, you know, sort of thing. What? Well, like, if you're force carving, you're doing the shake method. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you're just going to pick up the keg and shake it, and it's attached to your CO2 tank that's sitting on the floor. Yeah. You could back the beer up into the regulator that way. But it'd be so, like, I don't know, you have so much pressure coming through that getting I, getting the beer back into the regulator as long as you shut the valve before you I set know. her down and let it go. Yeah, yep. And I guess most uh regulators these days have um have check valves. They, yeah, like they that. have check valves. Some of the older models do not. But um it is it, it is something I was told that you should, you know, just kind of always be wary of. Because you can wreck your regulator that way. Yeah, it gets in there, it soaks something up, it's broken, and they're like fifty bucks on the cheap side to replace. Mm-hmm. And that's just and that in the meantime, you can't use your CO two tank. Yes, and it's sad. Yeah, so then you not, have more on roommates try to pull uh, pull pints off of 
you know, kegs that aren't connected to CO2 and they go flat and like, why is this beer flat? And you're like, you're an idiot. Yeah. Yep. So it's not a thing that happened to me. I swear. Not a, not as much of a legitimate concern these days, but I just wanted to, to cover it cause it's a thing. Makes sense. All right. Uh, when hooking up your lines to the kegs, what should you always double and triple check? That you're connecting it to the right post. Thank you. Especially, well, it's it's easier to do with ball lock versus pin lock. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, make sure you are connecting to the right post. Because getting those off of the wrong post is not fun. No. no not, not fun at all. You have to dismantle things. And manhandle things and potentially break things. And I, I think. What? Oh, for a second, my my headphones cut out, and I was oh. like, "Oh, what happened?" No, um, yeah, I've done that, and I had to like manually cut off the connect. Ugh, it's not fun. Well, I mean, it's it's money down the drain. Yeah, it's I was like, a- I was able to manhandle mine off with a screwdriver. Ours, ours didn't want to give. It no. was retarded. Like we were, we we even took it to Northern Brewer, and they're like, "Ah, shouldn't <laughs> have done that." Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so that for the most part uh, concludes the the quiz itself. But uh, just to kind of recap, um, you love kegging. Kegging is fairly easy. But one of the things I wanted to illustrate is that it's easy after the half a million things you need to know comes become second nature. I, I guess. I don't know. It All the things we talked about, though, there's not really anything. Well, I mean, okay, so I guess. That's uh, a big issue there. I'll, I'll, it's not that they're big issues. It's just that there's a whole bunch of small ones. Yeah, but I guess I don't think about most of those things anymore. Like, well, I don't know if I ever thought about most of those things. Okay, so I mean, I I guess uh I I remember my experience when we when Eric and I were new to kegging and there were a bunch of things that just kind of annoyed us that we didn't think to think of. And you know, several examples would be trying to uh force carb and finding uh proper pressures to carbonate a beer at 70 degrees because we didn't think you want to pressurize it for when it's cold and then not tap it until it is cold. Mm-hmm. So we're just like, these charts aren't going warm enough. You know, you know, let's just bring it up to 50 PSI, you know, shake the heck out of it and then try and serve it warm out of a keg at twice the pressure. You know, um, it like at this point, clearly that doesn't make sense. But yeah. It was a couple of things we didn't think. No, I, think I, of. I believe it. I guess uh, my my initial experience with kegging was I got the kegs and the the regular. I got all the stuff. I put it on my. I put the stuff in my kegerator. I filled the keg. I waited, and then I drank out of the keg. Yeah, like it was. It was. It was a fairly painless process for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the I the suppose. only thing that, that took a little bit of learning was just remembering how to take the kegs apart, what parts need to be cleaned, when, and stuff like that. I suppose. I just, uh, let's see. I just remember mine, and I just know that we made... All of the mistakes. Yeah, pretty much all the mistakes, and we learned how to keg 
literally one step at a time, screwing up for every step at, you know, That every seems time. to be pretty, uh, like, pretty par for the course for you guys. You guys seem to do that with all of your brewing. But you know what? You guys learn a lot more than I do. That's for we, sure. We do, yeah. I mean, we do learn a whole heck of a lot. And so, especially when I have customers who come to me at the store and... You know, they're like, I want to get into kegging. I say, okay, well, before you do that, just know that, one, it's expensive. That's true. It's not cheap. Um, And two, you know, two, do a bunch of research. And three, unless you're going to do, you know, go absolutely all in, it's just going to be a, bun- or a, a waste of money sitting in a pile in the corner of your room going unused. You know, and that's true because mm-hmm. that happened to us for like a year and a half. We got most of this stuff, but that doesn't help you. You need all of the stuff. You can't kind of like. No, yeah, no, you it, you, you, you need, you need all kegging. of the parts. Yeah, you can't go half into kegging, yeah. and that's part of the problem in trying to get into kegging. You you don't you don't go halfway in. All right, well, I think that wraps up our conversation about kegging today. Uh, next week, we'll have another exciting discussion topic for you. I'm not sure what it is yet. I we'll don't talk, either. Yeah, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, if you enjoyed this show or any of our other shows, go ahead and support us via Patreon. If you go to uh, blindnewsstudios.com and um, look for the Become a Patron Today uh, link, and click on that, uh, and we, we explain everything there. But it's essentially a recurring donation, so you can become a donor as little as a dollar a month every little bit goes a long way here at bns all right uh the other thing you can do is click on our amazon affiliate link uh that's on our homepage as well blindagestudios.com and if you just look at the bottom page click on the link go do your regular amazon shopping and we're all good to go uh amazon sends us a little kickback and it's fantastic if you have any feedback on this episode or any of other shows go ahead Go ahead and send us an email at feedback at blindnewsstudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnewsstudios. Or follow us on Twitter at blind underscore ninja. And I'll see you guys next week.